Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't turn on the mic. But it's good to see you. It's always a pleasure to, to preach God's word to you. And I appreciate this church and, and the people in the church, which is most important. And so I'm thankful to be here. I was uh, teaching at Seattle Christian High School the other day, and so I see some of my students in the audience, and they're kind of hiding from me. <laughs> I have to crack the whip at Seattle Christian. But in this church, I don't, I don't need to. <laughs> but it's a good time. Um, we have had a chance of worship and um, trying to draw near to God in, in song. As we think about the lyrics, we think about God himself, his reality, his presence, his goodness to us. And so it's always a good time for the church to gather and to worship God. Part of our worship, of course, involves um, a learning from him. And so we'll have, a, we'll have some time in God's word as well. But the other night I was, I was watching TV. And I was a little bit bored and I was flipping the channels, trying to find something that would interest me. And so quickly as I was channel surfing and, and, and flicking the remote control, I stumbled upon a commercial that caught my eye. And in this commercial, there was a man, and he was holding a handmade cardboard sign. This handmade cardboard sign had big letters, and it said, The end is near. And so in this commercial, this man who's holding a a big cardboard sign, the end is near, he's standing on a a street corner or a sidewalk, and then he hears a voice that tells him that you could buy three different models of cars for under $17,000 from a particular car maker. And so this voice repeats itself a couple times, and so eventually the man very carefully takes his sign, walks over to a trash can, and places it into the sign, into the can, and then walks away. And so at the end of the commercial, it flashes on three pictures of three models of brand new cars that you can buy for $17,000 or less. And so this, this uh, commercial caught my eye, of course, because it involves a preacher, an announcer, a proclaimer of uh, God's truth and God's word. And so that's, that's why I, I paused at that uh, particular commercial. I just saw it for a few seconds. So I might not have the uh, details right. But the commercial, I thought, was meant to be a parody of Christian evangelists. It meant to be a comical uh, imitation of what Christians do to alert people that the end of history is near, that the coming of God, is, of Christ's reign, is, is coming and closer, and that we ought to prepare uh, for that coming. And so, of course, in the commercial, it, it takes off on this idea that there's, there's salvation, and there's a savings to be made, but it's not spiritual, but it's financial, where you can buy a car, three different models, for under $17,000, and it's brand new. And so I didn't care much for the commercial, because it really trivializes the gospel. It, uh, it, it uh, weakens uh, a biblical sense of salvation. It was meant to be funny, but I didn't find it particularly clever, because, because of its play on words. And I find that a surprise ending of the, of the street preacher going away, he sees the light, that what's more important in life is buying these three cars. I didn't find that very uh, funny or for that surprise ending as well. And so although I didn't see much redeeming uh, value in the commercial, one, one thing that does stand out is that it illustrates what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 3-4. In 2 Peter 3, 3-4, it talks about unbelief of people uh, just, just uh, mocking and discrediting this notion that Christ will come back and that he'll reign on the earth and that his delay in coming 
is meant to, to be a chance for people to repent from sin and then turn to God. Second Peter 3, 3 through 4 reads this way. Uh, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And so I thought the Volks, or the uh, car commercial was really an illustration of what God has said in Second Peter. That people will mock uh, the end of, of, of this period in history and doubt the coming of Jesus Christ uh, into our world. That Christ will uh, reign on earth and his coming is near. And so although the world may doubt and mock the things of God and the second coming of Christ, the Bible promises us that Jesus Christ will return and people shall pre- should prepare for it. Unfortunately, many non-Christians and Christians as well uh, fail to prepare for Christ's return. We can be uninformed that it's going to happen. We can be preoccupied and busy with our own lives. We can be apathetic towards the coming of Christ. We can be complacent where we don't need to prepare. We're already arrived. Or we could just be plain lazy that we don't need to do anything uh, for Christ's coming before he comes back. We may not know the importance of living for Christ before he actually comes back. So how, how should we live in light of Christ's second coming? Romans 13, 11 through 14 gives us three keys for living in light of Christ's return. What are those keys? We are to realize the significance of the season. We are to uh, reject the deeds of darkness. And we are to reflect the character of Christ. These are three keys for godly living as we prepare for Christ's second coming. So let's turn to Romans chapter 13. We'll look at 11 through 14 in more detail to see how to live in light of Christ's return. Uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 11 through 14. These scriptures read this way. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And so three keys to live live out in light of Christ's coming. The first key is that we should realize the significance of the season. Uh, Verses 11 through uh, 12a give us this insight. 11 reads, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And so here is our instruction that we need to realize how significant this period of history is. It's a period of history in which uh, precedes Christ's second coming. And so we need to wake up from our spiritual slumber, our spiritual sleepiness, and respond to the reality that God will come in human flesh and reign upon the world. And so the book of Romans has really given us a, a good understanding 
that God saves by grace. First 11 chapters that we are justified and declared righteous in God's sight, not by our good works, but by trusting in the works of Christ and the person of Christ to save us from sin. So the first 11 chapters teach us a lot about God's justification. And then in the uh, chapters 12 through 16, which follow, it gives us a, a real good insight on how to live for God, how to be sanctified and set apart from sin and set apart to God. And so in our study in Romans, we've seen that we can be increasingly like Jesus Christ in our sanctification with our relationship to God, our relationship to believers, uh, to enemies, uh, to people in general, to government, and last week to our neighbors. And here is a call to action, again for sanctification. Again, it's a call to become more Christ-like in our attitudes towards living. And so we know that the first key for living in, in light of Christ's return is to realize the, the significance of the time in which we live. And so it's very much an understanding that the Roman Christians uh, had, and yet they were not following it out. Uh, the scriptures read that, imply that they do understand that this is the season of life in which Christ will come back and that they are to prepare for it. Uh, evidently, in verse 11, they have been not preparing. Uh, verse 11 reads, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber or from your sleep. And so the Roman Christians have fallen asleep. They've fallen asleep spiritually. They've been unconscious towards the things of God. They've been inactive. They've been uh, failing to carry out their responsibilities. And so this is a call to them, and it's a call to us, that the end is near, and that we should prepare for it. We're saved. We're justified. Uh, God has declared us uh, righteous in His sight. We're forgiven. We have nothing to worry about as far as the judgment from God, and yet He wants us to work at our salvation, become more Christ-like, to become more sanctified, to become more holy and pure. And so these are the things that should keep us busy, and these are the things that... Um, should keep us motivated in life. You know, what is the purpose of life? It's to glorify God, to know Him, to evangelize the lost, to disciple, make disciples of all nations, and it's also to grow in holiness. These are the things that should guide our lives. These are the things that should keep us busy and keep us motivated and keep us seeking God. We want to evangelize the lost. We want to make disciples. We want people to know God and follow Him. And we ourselves want to become more holy as well. And so there's evidently been some apathy in the Roman church, perhaps some indifference or even laziness. Uh, perhaps it, it, it could be because of their understanding of grace, that since we are justified by grace, it doesn't matter how hard we work at becoming a moral person. If we're truly saved by God's grace, then no matter how many sins we commit, uh, God will still accept us because we're trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so that's fine as far as justification goes. But as far as sanctification goes, or how to live out our, our lives on earth, God wants us to work at our holiness and at our purity. And so this idea of grace is a great, great concept. I want to be saved by grace. I don't have to work to earn God's approval uh, for salvation. I don't want to earn and work and strive and labor for, um, for His forgiveness because I can't do anything that would merit that forgiveness. It's just a frustrating uh, exercise trying to achieve righteousness that I don't have. And so in Romans it says that we can be righteous before God. We can have a right relationship before Him 
because He gives it to us by His grace, by His undeserved kindness. And that's a wonderful concept, grace, that we can be made right with God because He gives us the right relationship with Him. And we trust in Christ for that as He died on the cross and rose from the grave, that He paid the penalty for our sins so that we can be forgiven and be right with God. But we shouldn't confuse grace with how we should live our lives. And so it does matter, as Christians, how we live our lives. And so we're saved by grace, and yet we're to live a life that is pleasing to God. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. The Roman Christians could be a little bit confused about grace. Paul has been uh, teaching the gospel uh, to them. Uh, The Roman Christians have received it. Uh, They may have some still some confusion of mixing up that that our lives are not to that we can continue to uh, live any way that we want to live because God will accept us by grace anyway. And so this is a mistaken notion. Let's turn to over to uh, Romans chapter three and look at look at verse eight. Romans chapter three, verse eight. And so Paul is defending the gospel in this chapter. He's made it clear that man is undeserving of God's uh, forgiveness. Uh, Man is actually a rebel against God. Even the Jews who have received God's law cannot be good enough for God. Uh, Either the law or circumcision or any other kind of religious right will not save you from God's judgment. And then in verse 8, Paul responds to a criticism of this gospel, of this salvation message. Verse 8 reads this way. Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying... And as some claim that we say, let us do good, let us do evil, that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. And so here people are saying, if, if you're truly saved by grace and not by works, then, it, then let's do more evil so that God can give us uh, more goodness. And so wouldn't this honor God if we, if we sin more so that God can even be uh, better for us? And so this is something that's slanderously being reported in the, in the church. Some claim that Paul has said it, and then Paul refutes that by saying, that's not the way it is. You know, we should not do more evil so that more good can take place. We are saved by grace, but we shouldn't live our lives presuming upon that grace. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 6. These are just clues to give us some insight into why Paul needs to tell the Roman Christians to wake up from their slumber. Okay, let's turn over to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 reads this way. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verse 2. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So that ought not to be that we continue to sin just for the fact that God can give us more grace. You know, Paul, Paul is telling the Christians there that that's no longer us. You know, we die to uh, sin's reign over us, the sin's mastery over us. That's not the way that we are to live. And we can't live in, in that situation any longer. Let's turn to uh, verse 15 of chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. And Paul asks another rhetorical question. Verse 15 of chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? If God accepts us and forgives us, not on the basis of what we do for him, should we continue to sin because we're not under the uh, condemnation of the law? And so, obviously, the implied answer in what Paul says in verse 15, he says, by no means. 
You know, absolutely not. That's not the way it should be, that we should sin more just because we are saved by grace. Let's turn back over to Romans chapter 13. And so here's the situation that perhaps we have hints of confusion in the church. We're saved by grace, and yet we're to live out lives that that do not sin any longer. And so verse 11 says, do this, you know, continuing on the thoughts of what should you do. And the last uh, section was to love your neighbor as yourself. To love is the fulfillment of law. Verse 11 links that, um, what is to follow with the, the thought before. And do this, in addition, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And so this slumbering, as we, as we follow the following context, is slumbering about living the Christian life. It's living a life that would honor God. It's living a life that abstains from sin and devotes itself to developing Christ's character. And we'll see that in the verses and following. But here's the call to live for Christ within, within the season of life. It's a call to be aware that of the present time. It's a call to remember that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And so this salvation pertains to glorification. And glorification is the completion and the perfection of the Christian. And so when we are saved, we are justified, we are sanctified, and then finally we are glorified. And so this is the a spectrum of salvation. That when God justifies us, he declares us to be righteous. Not on the basis of our conduct, but the basis, on the basis of his grace to us when we trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so this is the beauty of salvation and justification. Now, secondly, salvation also entails sanctification. It's putting sins aside and imitating Christ and becoming more holy. And so that's the process of we are, are being saved from sin. We have been saved from sin in justification because it's a, it's a done deal. So it's an established fact that we are righteous before God. And so we are saved from sin's penalty. But we are now in the process of being saved from sin's um, power over us. That God wants us to be rescued from sin's influence in our life. And then finally, God will perfect us and deliver us from sin's presence in our, in our, in our being, in our, in our person. And salvation involves those three aspects. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. And one day, we will be glorified. And God will perfect our nature so that we don't have to struggle with sin. Not only... Don't we have to deal with the consequences and punishments of sin? But we don't have to deal with the presence of sin and the inclination and the temptation to sin as well. And so here it says, understand the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. Glorification is a lot closer than when we first became a Christian. And so this is a this is a motivation to wake up and respond to God in a, in a spiritual way, to, to be more sanctified. Verse 12 reads, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 
And so here's a, here's a metaphor or figure of speech that probably gives us an insight that the night of sin or a rebellion against God is nearly over and the day of the Lord is nearly here, that we are closer to the second coming of Christ than we were before. And so here, um, man's time, the night time, is the time of man's unbelief. The night time is the time when man is in rebellion against God, that men sin against God. The daytime is the time of Christ's coming. It's the time of Christ's judgment, time of Christ's reign, and the time when Christ's righteousness will prevail upon the earth. And so here's this time where the night is nearly over. And the day is almost here. And so we are, we are closer to the time when God himself will reign on the earth. That God will establish his government over people. And so that will be a wondrous time, a splendorous time, a great time to have a, 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 an honest government, a righteous uh, a government and righteous leaders ruling over us. It would be Jesus Christ himself. And so this serves as a wake-up call for us that as our salvation draws near, our glorification, and as Christ's coming is, is sooner, each day Christ's coming is one day sooner than it was before, we should wake up from our sleepiness, from our spiritual slumber. We should respond to God in a way which would please Him. And so Christ's return and His millennial reign should motivate us to godly living. Uh, you don't have to turn in your Bible, but let me just uh, read some scriptures which would tell us that, that Christ's second coming, that the end is near, should motivate us towards godliness and holiness. You don't have to turn, but I'll just read the scriptures to you. Uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14 reads this way. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Speaking of uh, the gospel message. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are for his own, eager to do what is good. And so God's purpose is to save you and to forgive you and to make you righteous before him. But also his purpose is also to purify you and to make you good and to change your character before him as well. And this should motivate us. This should give us an incentive to seek him and to please Him. Because He wants to make you better. He wants to make you more holy. He doesn't want to see you struggle with sin, uh, sinful habits, sinful thoughts. He wants you to become a more holy and righteous person. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.10 reads this way, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so there's a judgment that follows when Christ comes. There's the judgment of Christians as well. It's not a judgment for salvation from sin, but it's a judgment of our works and faithfulness to God. And so the end is near. Christ is coming. He'll come as king, and he'll also come as, as judge. And we don't want to embarrass ourselves when he comes back. We want to be ready for his coming by being faithful to obeying him and what he would like us to do and pleasing him in this life. 
First Corinthians 4, 5 reads this way. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. And so when we are judged by God, he will praise us and we will enjoy his fellowship. We'll receive uh, responsibility and privileges based upon you know, how we have served him. First uh, John 3, 2-3 reads this way. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, speaking of Christ, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. And so one day in glorification, Christ will completely transform us so that we become like Jesus Christ and we become pure just as he is pure. And this should motivate us uh, to purify ourselves. We don't know when Christ is coming back. We do know it's been almost 2,000 years since God wrote the book of Romans. And so we're 2,000 years closer to the time of Christ's reign and the end of uh, this period of history than we were before. And so we should be zealous and we should be active. We should wake up from spiritual slumber and apply ourselves to the things of God. You know, Jesus came as a little baby. He was innocent, uh, kind, uh, self-sacrificing. He's our Savior. He came that way. But then he'll come back as a king, a reigning king. And he'll reign with justice and righteousness and holiness. And so we need to prepare for his coming. We need to be diligent in uh, applying ourselves to his will. And this should motivate us towards spiritual growth. You know, a lot of you have been Christians a long time. And it, it, being a Christian can become routine. You know, I, I work all week. I go to fellowship group. And then I go to church on Sunday. I think, sing a few songs. Then listen to a guy talk for a while. And so the Christian life can be kind of routine. You know, what's the purpose of it? And here the purpose in Romans is to grow in sanctification, to grow in holiness, that there is purpose to your life. Remember the significance of this period of time, this season of life, is to prepare for Christ's coming. It shouldn't be like that car commercial where other things get in the way and we don't think it's going to happen, but we should actually be preparing. We're no longer ignorant. We can be apathetic. We can be indifferent to Christ's coming. We can be complacent, thinking that we've already arrived, we're already mature. I'm a mature Christian, I don't have to do anything more. But that's not the attitude that God wants us to take. In fact, Paul says that he continues to strive towards the goal to to please God and to develop Christian maturity. And so as an old Christian, we ought not to be complacent, but we should still strive to grow in holiness. Your life has meaning now. This season of life is significant for each person What you do has eternal value. And so God will praise what you do for him. And he will judge that. And he'll praise you and he'll reward you. And he'll be pleased with you. And then you are to apply yourself now to to that day when he actually comes back and when you meet him. So realize the significance of the season that you live in. That's the first key in living in light of Christ's return. Let's look at the second key found in verse 12b through verse 13. The second key for living in light of Christ's return is to reject the deeds of darkness. Let's look at verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 
So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. So the second key for living in light of Christ's return is to reject the deeds of darkness. In other words, renounce the things that that cause you to sin and instead put on uh, God's holiness, God's armor of light. God's protection for the Christian is to become like him, become more pure, become more holy, become more righteous. These are all protections against uh, Satan's temptations and the way Satan wants to destroy people's lives through sin. And so as we repent from our sins and seek to adopt ourselves to God's character, this is a protection for us. And so as we think about Christ's return, we are to reject the deeds of darkness. We are to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We are to behave decently as in the daytime. And so a lot of crime is committed at night. A lot of criminals come out at night. It's because it's dark. They can get away with it. But we as people of the light... And people of the day should behave decently in the presence of God, in the daytime of God's presence. So we need to live in a way that pleases Him. We need to live a sanctified life that, that uh, reflects how much God has loved us and has cared for us and given us grace. Uh, not in orgies and drunkenness. Orgies refer to wild partying, uh, sexual orgies, brawls, rioting. It's sort of like a Mardi Gras celebration. A spring break in Daytona Beach. You know, the travel channel is pretty good about, uh, <laughs> about uh, publicizing different, different uh, s- pagan celebrations, secular celebrations that are very much like orgies and rioting and drunkenness. Uh, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, debauchery. You know, as people living a decent life in the light, we're not to be uh, people of sexual immorality or debauchery. Um, that refers to unlawful uh, sexual intercourse, uh, shameless excess, the absence of restraint, self-indulgent passions, lewd sexual immorality. This is what is being referred to in um, verse 13. And also not in dissensions and jealousy. As we think about living decently, we should not be people who have dissension and jealousy in our life. Uh, dissension uh, refers to a word that refers to strife. A dissension refers to persistent contention, bickering, petty disagreement, and enmity with others. Uh, dissension is a spirit of competitiveness that fights to have its own way. It is produced by a desire to prevail over other people. Dissension is self-centered. It has self-interest at heart. It is self-seeking. And so that often uh, dissension and jealousy often go together. And so uh, as a fan of TV, although I probably ought not to be, I watch programs like Survivor. It's all about dissension and jealousy. It's about outdoing somebody else to get ahead, to win something for yourself. I've also watched the program The Apprentice, where people try out for a job and they're on teams, but in the end only one person wins. It's all about competition. It's all about gaining something for yourself. It's all about gaining prominence and and satisfying your own interests. And so this ought not to be the Christian life, the life of survivor, the life of the apprentice. And so in the church, we we should not be like competitive uh, television programs. 
But instead we should be humble, uh, gentle, seeking the interests of other people before ourselves. And so this is, this is the way in which we, we reject the deeds of darkness. This is the way we repent from sin, is to not engage in these types of activities. Sometimes sins are obvious, like in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And we should instead live by the Spirit or live according to what the Spirit would have us to do. And so the, the Holy Spirit discloses His will in the Bible, in the Scriptures. And as we follow God uh, prayerfully, follow His Word, then we can live according to the Scriptures. Sometimes sins are less obvious. They can involve attitudes. Jesus said that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And anyone who calls him a fool will be in dangers of the fire of hell. This is more attitudinal towards other people. You don't have to kill someone to commit a sin. But even your attitudes towards a brother can be angry and it can also be sinful. Uh, Sins can be uh, inner desires. Jesus said that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so these types of sins are more uh, hidden. They're not as apparent as others. But we are to reject these kinds of deeds of darkness. Uh, Dissension and jealousy can take the form of unresolved conflict in your relationships, gossip, not confronting the person directly, but privately, uh, you know, talking about them behind their back. This is a form of dissension. It's a form of jealousy that uh, you're not getting your way and that uh, someone else is is bothering you and offended you. And you haven't resolved it in private. You haven't resolved it constructively to restore that relationship and to, and to settle that issue. And so we ought to reject the deeds of darkness. Uh, thirdly, living in light of Christ's return, the third key is to reflect the character of Christ. We reject what is sinful. We reflect Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 reads this way. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And this is the command to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. To put on his character, to put on his love, to put on his holiness. To, put, to be imitators of, of Christ and his truthfulness. And so we need to uh, grow in Christ's character as Christians. We grow as we study and meditate upon his word. We can grow with, uh, in sanctification uh, through communing with God in prayer, through fellowship with other people, through using our spiritual gifts, through encouraging other people. These are all ways in which God can encourage us to grow in our holiness, in our Christ-likeness. Uh, secondly, it says, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So if we really want to put on Christ... To become more Christ-like, we need to stop thinking about how to sin. And so this thought about making provisions for the flesh involves making forethought or planning and strategizing how to sin. And so we should make no provision for the flesh, for flesh's desires. We shouldn't think ahead about how we can uh, get back at that person or take take revenge. We shouldn't visualize and fantasize, you know, about engaging in immoral sexual pleasure. Ephesians 5.3 reads this way, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, 
which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And so God doesn't want us to entertain sinful thoughts or even speak sinful words to other people. God says that it's shameful to, mention, to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. It, it, it's embarrassing and it's also influencing that as we entertain ideas that are against God's will, if we entertain impure thoughts, unholy actions, if we want to take revenge and think about how we can get back at that person, those things are damaging to the Christian. We are to put on Christ and not make provisions for the flesh, not think about how to gratify the sinful nature. The sinful nature of the flesh is that unredeemed part of us, that unredeemed humanist that still has a tendency to do what is evil. And so that will be done away with at glorification. But in this life, we struggle with sin. We know what the right thing is to do oftentimes, and yet we fail to do it. And that's humanness. That's just a part of our nature right now. We are being sanctified. One day, we will be perfected. We will be glorified. So we struggle, and the flesh seeks to take control over our mind, our memories, our emotions, and our will. But we are not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so God wants us to think good thoughts, not plot sinful strategies, not to think sinful thoughts. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not sit in the seat of mockers or stand in the way of sinners. In other words, the people around you can influence the way you think. And we should not uh, be in, in, in close fellowship with people who would lead us away through evil counsel and through evil thoughts to, to disobey God and to sin against him. So we ought to be careful what we expose ourselves to. Sometimes it can be people that we hang out with. Sometimes it could be TV or movies, music, books, the Internet, video games. You know, some video games are very violent in which you actually... You know, shoot people, kill people, and you hunt people down. And some of these thoughts and images can influence the flesh, to stimulate the flesh, to be violent towards people in real life. And so the Bible teaches us that we should not think of ways to gratify the sinful nature. We should not visualize ways to to commit immorality. And so these things are actually harmful to the soul and deteriorate to living a God-honoring life. So we ought to be careful not to stimulate that flesh, that humanness that still resides in us, that still has an inclination to sin. And so working at sanctification isn't easy. It takes effort, but God motivates us to make that effort. He motivates us towards holiness because our salvation is near. One day we'll be freed from sin. He motivates us towards holiness because he is coming back and that he will reign on the earth, that he, he will be king, he will be judge, and, he, and his kingdom will be a righteous kingdom. And so Christ's coming is closer than it ever has been before. And we have to prepare for that coming. So let us apply ourselves to rejecting sin and then living for Christ. Okay.